Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 130 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 130, we're going to talk about uh, kind of new things going on in quizzing. So we're going to talk about the International Open uh, Championships coming up in July, middle of July in Seattle at Seattle Pacific University. And there's some announcements in terms of folks who are planning to participate. It's starting to get uh, extremely exciting. I mean, it was exciting before, but now it's getting extremely exciting. Uh, All the folks who are also excited and wanting to show up, but we're going to spend most of this episode talking about the rules for A3, uh, otherwise known as, this is going to be a little bit convoluted for those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a long time, but we're we're using the title of CBQZ for A3 going forward. So the idea being that you know, CBQZ originally stands for Christian Bible Quizzing, and we figured, well, that's a generic enough name to apply to A3. So instead of calling it A3 forever, which is sort of a, you know, little internal code word, we're just going to call A3 CBQZ. I know that does start to get a little bit, uh, shall we say, name overloaded with the CBQZ quizzing app, which is currently used in A2. However, uh, that's going to ultimately get rebranded and renamed and moved off somewhere else. And I'm in the process of creating a replacement for it anyway called Quiz Sage. So the name overlap here is going to be temporary. So anyway, from now on, whenever I say CBQZ, I'm just referring to A3, the rules of A3 or the system of A3, the organization uh, of CBQZ or of, of A3. That's really what I'm going to be talking about because ultimately we need to put an organization around CBQZ um, as well as rules and tech and other sorts of things. We already kind of have a um, a quasi-organization around CBQZ, but we're going to end up formalizing it over the next uh, couple of months or so. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Ultimately, today we're going to be talking around uh, A3 or CBQZ rules about those uh, rules changes and essentially mostly around strategies for optimizing your point gains within uh, CBQZ quizzes. And so like uh, Scott, a couple of episodes ago, I forget when it was, I think you very accurately labeled the difference between A2 and CBQZ where you were saying in CBQZ, you're really, the, the goal is is less about error reduction and more about points maximalization. And so we're going to dive into strategies for points maximalization. All right. So with all that said, let's dive in first with the IOC uh, announcements, uh, the International Open Championships, July, Seattle. So uh, we've got a lot of folks who are uh, eagerly anticipating that meet and have expressed uh, anywhere between strong and extremely strong interest in participating. We don't have official registration open yet. That's probably going to be next month, maybe April, uh, depending upon how things uh, shake out. So I do want to go through this list and just kind of let folks know who all is coming so far. Uh, So we've got folks from the Free Methodist or Quizzing Organization, both from Washington and Oregon, who are going to be coming. We've got uh, Nazarenes 
are going to be attending en masse. We actually have very uh, strong support from Western Washington uh, folks. Uh, we've got Western Oregon folks that are interested. We've been talking with Central and Eastern uh, Washington folks. And then really, I think, I forget exactly where the, uh, they don't call them districts, but uh, is it region? So, uh, sorry, Nazarene listeners, I, I, can't, I forget what, what, what the organizations are called. But basically, most folks west of the Mississippi so far have expressed fairly strong uh, interest. And so it's uh, really exciting. We're going to end up with possibly as many as 20 or more Nazarene teams uh, competing it uh, at IOC. So that's going to be pretty, uh, pretty, pretty awesome. In terms of CMA districts, uh, so Eastern Canada has said that they are planning on participating. So that's fantastic. They've, I think they win... Uh, first place for the longest uh, number of miles required to travel to attend. So we're we're excited that they are uh, planning to uh, participate and do not envy them the length of the airplane travel that they have to do to be able to get there. Uh, also, some other folks nearly as far uh, as ECD, we've got Northeastern said that they are uh, planning on coming. Uh, Eastern Pennsylvania is likely coming. Uh, Western Pennsylvania is internally promoting uh, coming. They are very supportive, um, haven't reached a decision yet. From Central, John Foley is going to be able to attend and officiate, uh, and so that's going to be fantastic. And then we've got a few other districts that are considering ascending uh, uh, teams. They haven't expressed whether or not they've made a decision yet, but Metro, North Central, South Atlantic, and Western Canada have all expressed interest and are in the process of considering uh, sending uh, sending at least one or more uh, multiple teams. We also have a a, a large. Uh, a, a Christian Academy that's nearby, Tacoma Christian Academy, TCA, they just started a quiz program, oh, I think just a couple of weeks ago uh, at this point is when they, they started up. So it hasn't been going for very long. Their intent is to have IOC be their first official quiz meet. So uh, they are memorizing and ramping up as rapidly as possible. And we are in conversations with uh, folks from uh, World uh, Bible Quizzing. We're also talking with a large church organization from Idaho and uh, World may or may not be able to participate in IOC this year. We're not really sure. They are very interested. Um, the folks from Idaho probably not going to participate this uh, year, possibly be able to start engaging uh, next year, but we're making outreaches there. And of course, you know, PNW quizzing, we're going to be there en masse and certainly be well represented at the uh, IOC meet. All right, so with that said, let's kind of jump into CBQZ strategies. I do want to mention that just a few hours ago, a new update to the CBQ rules got posted. So we were we were sitting at version 0.03, a preview release for a couple of weeks or so. Uh, now we're at point version 0.04 preview release. Uh, not a lot has changed. It's just little kind of things that the big changes that went from 0.2 to 0.3 were mostly around uh, changing some of the minimums and maximums uh, in terms of phrase lengths and, and point values and so forth. Going from 0.3 to 0.4, we corrected a couple of... Um, 
I guess, one bug or a potentially exploitable loophole in the in, in the rules we corrected that and a few other kind of minor changes. So not a lot is changing, but it's kind of little edge things there. So I think we can safely dive into uh, CBQZ strategies for preparation and points maximization. So I'm going to divide these up into a couple of different major categories. One is prep work, one is quiz work, and then I'll, I'll go through each of these and I'll introduce a concept and then Scott's going to uh, kind of wax eloquently with his great amount of, of quizzing wisdom and talk about uh, pros and cons to each of these sort of points. So with that, we're just going to dive right in. So starting with prep, these are uh, preparation strategies for CBQZ to, for, again, points maximization. So number one, always memorize with references. References are actually worth something in CBQZ versus, say, A2. Knowing your references uh, will be you'll be able to be directly rewarded for knowing your references. Now the reference reward is small; it's only one point, but those one points can add up pretty quickly. So if your team, let's say, doesn't have references memorized and another team does have references memorized, they can start to they can start to exploit that delta, uh, and it, and it can start to add up. By the end of a quiz pretty substantially so memorize with references references are small they're fairly easy to memorize as you're working through the material they're more difficult i think at least i think personally i'll see what scott says but i think they're more difficult to add after the fact so if you can memorize with references as you go through very good prep strategy uh, scott what do you think i th i'm not sure if they're more difficult to add after the fact I know that the way that my quizzing career progressed for one whole year, I memorized the whole material with no references. And then in the second year, I did the same until I went to Great West and saw all these people who were so much better than me. And so between Great West and the final PNW meet of the year, I added references for first Corinthians, didn't have time to add them for second Corinthians as well. And I found that to not be a very difficult process. That doesn't mean that it, relatively speaking, it's not more difficult than just doing them together at the beginning. Um, but I didn't find that to be tremendously difficult at all because I knew the verses already and attaching them together went fine. That said, I found it very valuable for my for the quizzing competition to use references as the thing that was your recall for the rest of the verse. And so... If that's going to be the case, then you do want to start learning those as soon as possible. There are many, at least in age two and maybe also in CBQZ, there are types where very quickly recalling the verse is helpful, specifically chapter verse references in age two. So maybe that is slightly lessened in age three. But I think in age three, because there are many tiers of difficulty, that the quicker you can get into answering means that you have more of those difficulty options available to you. And I would also agree that memorizing with references is the way to go because, again, the name of the game is points maximization and not – what was the the alternative, that the term that we were a using? Error avoidance. Error, avoid, error avoidance, right? It's points maximization. So if you have already won a jump and know enough about it to get some amount of it correct, right, either synonymous or verbatim – you have to get the reference right. Like you just, if you want to be 
a top competitor, a top team, whatever, you have to get the reference right because it's it, – I view it as free. Like it definitely you have to study for it to be able to get it. But at the point that you have jumped on a question, uh, j- won the jump, so you beat everybody else. But not only have you beat everyone else, you beat everyone else on material that you know. It, you're just throwing away points by not knowing the reference. Yeah. And so, Yeah. Always memorize the references. I don't have a strong feeling about whether to do them first or add them in later. I think because of their importance, you might as well just do them from the beginning. The only reason I didn't do them from the beginning is I wasn't wanting to spend that time because I didn't think it made sense for the sorts of competitive goals that I had. And in hindsight, it, it made I, I made the wrong conclusion, right? It made tons of sense for me to start doing it initially, even if that meant that I did not have all of first and second Corinthians memorized. I think I would have scored better had I had the references, even if it meant I had less overall verses memorized years. So not that first year, but thinking of like your follow on years, do you, when you were, you, you know, second, third, fourth year or whatever, and, and, and beyond when you were memorizing with references initially, do you feel like including the reference when you were memorizing, like if you were going to, I mean, I mean, it's hard to be precise about this, but if you were going to estimate like what percentage of a, of the overall time for each verse you memorized, like what percentage of that was based on the reference versus memorizing the words, like what would you guess that percentage Delta would be or not Delta, but like, like what percentage of your overall time was spent on references? Really very little because not quite to this extent but basically the reference was just treated like an additional word for me or two or three words depending on how you want to chunk it up that's that's how i viewed it it was just part of the text of the verse it just happened and it happened to be the first text in the verse that i was memorizing but i didn't think of it any differently really yeah that 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 jives with my experience i mean i i not from a quizzer but just from a memorization perspective i i i when I don't memorize with a reference versus when I do memorize with a reference, the delta in time seems like it's the same. Now, it maybe it's not the same, but the delta of adding a reference while in the process of memorizing verse is a very, if, if there is a delta, it's so small, I don't notice it, right? Um, and like, I haven't been successful at adding references to material that I've already memorized. Like I can get pretty close, but like, I don't exactly remember the boundary. Right. So, and, and part of it is because like when I'm recalling information that I memorized without a reference first, I think of it in sort of contextual blocks. I think of it in, in terms of paragraphs, you know, for some definition of paragraph, they have nothing to do with how the, how the information is actually formed on the page. Right. It's just more sort of conceptual paragraphs in my head. Right. But that's sort and so like, I can be like, oh, well this, these words come after these words. And I can be very precise about the ordering of those words and that kind of thing. And then if I come back later and I memorize the reference, like I might have the, the verse marker be like the, let's say it's a difference between verse five and verse six, where exactly that transition is between verse five and verse six, I might be off by a few words, you know, one or two or three words in either direction. Like I, I'm, I'm not 
able to be precise about that. But if I memorize with references while I'm going through, then it's like, oh, no problem whatsoever. And what's interesting about this is I can kind of use it as kind of a knife to get directly to a specific spot. So I can like, I can quote verse, I can quote material backwards by verse, like quote verse six, then quote, quote verse five, then verse four and so forth. If I know references, there's no way I can do, I can't do that. Um, if I don't know references, even if I know the, the material verbatim, like, cause I, I can't just jump to a specific point. Right. So, it's one of those things where I think having the reference memorized is valuable from both a recall and mental organization perspective. And the cost of adding it is really small. Like it feels like it's less than 10% of the cost of the overall verse, like maybe less than 5% of the cost of the overall verse. And it gives me knife edge insertability into certain sections of the material well, every section of the material that I memorize. And in, in CBQZ, I get rewarded for that. I get actual points out of that. So there's just, there's just no reason to, there's just no reason in, uh, to skip it and every reason to include it. Now, I do think that the reference, if we're viewing it just as more words, they are in a relative sense, insignificant words, right? They don't, they're not memorable. <laughs> Right. When compared to the, the words that exist elsewhere, because every verse has the words book, name, chapter, number, verse, number, right? If you are not memorizing WordPerfect, and there are question types in both H2 and CBQZ that you can get right without WordPerfect memorization, and you're not stressing on all of the verb tenses or all of the articles and, and things, then I can see it being a, a difficult and time-consuming addition to add references. But at the point that you are memorizing any amount of the material word perfectly, then adding the reference is just adding more word perfect text. And in that word perfect text, you have to get all the so's and ifs and thems correct. And and so in that sense, it's almost no change. Right, right, indeed. Well, so Let's move on to the second one. Uh, so under prep, I wanted to, because again, in in CBQZ, the quizzer gets to decide if they are going to answer synonymously or verbatimly, verbatimly, I don't know, we'll make up a word. You get to decide as a quizzer, am I going to answer verbatim or synonymous for each query that you're responding to, right? So by default, if you don't say anything, if you don't call out a, a subtype, you're answering synonymously, but you can call out verbatim and it doubles your base points, right? You go from, you know, two points uh, for synonymous ver uh, versus four points for verbatim. So the question then is, what is the better strategy in terms of prep? Do you want to memorize less material, but do it verbatim? In other words, you know, do I want to memorize, let's say 10 verses, but I've got those 10 verses absolutely word perfect. Or do you want to memorize more material at a synonymous level? And this is, this is kind of interesting because I was kind of thinking, well, I'm, I actually don't know. So let's actually start running some, some data analysis. And I, I didn't go completely down the rabbit hole on this one. Um, but I did do a little bit of, of some calculations of uh, around like, okay, well, assuming that you've got 12 uh, queries in a quiz and assuming you've got 
uh, material of uh, for a given season of let's say hypothetically 700 verses it's just a you know stake in the ground so at what kind of coverage level do you get for say memorizing 50 percent of the material synonymously versus verbatim material at 25 percent or say synonymous at 50% versus verbatim at 36%. And I had to make all kinds of assumptions as I was going down through here uh, to, to figure it out. But ultimately the conclusion is it kind of depends, right? It kind of depends like which one is better, less material verbatim or more material synonymous. It really depends on what you mean by less and more right? What are those cutoff numbers, right? So if you're talking about, say, 10% of the material verbatim versus 80% of the material synonymous, synonymous absolutely wins, right? No question. And of course, if you can get synonymous to 100%, then you have a superpower because you can start really aggressively jumping quickly. Uh, you, you have to be careful because you need to be listening for, say, two and three uh, word key phrases or single word uh, unique uh, words in the material when you're jumping on, say, phrases uh, and then, you know, chapter unique words and phrases for chapter reference or uh, chapter reference uh, phrases and so forth or chapter reference queries. But ultimately, be below the, the range of 100 percent, right, where where do those things line up? Well, it starts to get kind of questionable where I found a midpoint in terms of expected points is assuming that you do not include, actually, I guess it works if you include references as well. So whether you include references or not, something around 50% synonymous equals roughly 36% verbatim, kind of. It's not exact, but it's, it's kind of getting close. So like you might get an expectation of say six points if you memorized 50% of the material synonymous versus 36% of the material verbatim gets you 6.2. Uh, so pretty close. And then if you go with reference, it becomes synonymous at nine and verbatim at 9.1. So pretty consistent there. However, that's assuming everything else is equal uh, across the entire quiz and assuming like four layers of my assumptions are correct, which are and consistent, which is is never true. This is going to be highly dependent upon the competition, right? So don't take this 36% equals 50% as a as any kind of hard and fast rule rather it's probably more a rule of thumb and i think we can get some some wisdom out of this so number one depth is a powerful tool it absolutely is so the idea of having fewer verses a little bit fewer but having them be verbatim is very powerful right you're getting four points base instead of two and that's a big deal that's twice as much right but don't sacrifice width for depth, right? So attempt to memorize verbatim with reference, but don't limit yourself to fewer verses thinking, well, I'm limiting myself to fewer verses so I can do them at maximal depth. And as a result of that, I can score more than I would be otherwise. I think you actually want to go for width first and then dive into depth, right? So get width with initial memorization and then go for depth verbatimness with review 
uh, but don't sacrifice the number of verses to obtain verbatim unless your width is, let's say, greater than 50%. Now, again, all of this is under a gigantic caveat of this is not a complete in-depth analysis. This is just based on, on some highly, you know, shots in the dark based on some uh, a lot of assumptions. But that's my general conclusion. So, Scott, what are your thoughts here? I like your approach because you're wanting to actually like play it out and test it out. And so I'm trying to add concrete language to my very strong belief that fewer verses with references are better than more verses without, which is supported by your test. I'm trying to think of a different way to describe it. I think, I think you gain a lot competitively when you can achieve more and more certainty. If I memorized every other verse in the material, I have like no certainty jumping on an interrogative in H2 or a phrase in CBQZ because half the time it might be something that I don't know. And that fact, probably because there are air points or sitting out questions or airing out, I think leads you to potentially reduce your jumping speed beyond what is actually optimal based on how much you know. Whereas, let's say I've memorized the same number of verses, but they're all in chunks. Well, now there are different types that are open to me, potentially quotes and chapter references and things of that nature. And you can have certainty on those types. So it's certainty on a fewer percentage of the questions. Well, no. Certainty on a higher percentage, but a level of chance on a smaller percentage because to me having there be a 10% chance, you know, a question is almost worthless. And I think that goes into not, not just the, the verses that you choose to memorize, but also how well do I want to memorize them? So the degree to which I memorize the verse, you're just adding certainty that you can get it right, that you can get it right verbatim, that you can get it right verbatim with the reference that you can get cross reference questions that you can get. And to me, the certainty was a superpower because of the way it let you approach a quiz, both strategically and just your mindset. I knew if I was going into a quiz against, say, multiple answer specialists, and I wasn't a multiple answer specialist, but I was really good at the material, I almost had no chance because they had done the work to give themselves certainty. Likewise, there were quizzers that maybe knew the whole material but without references. And so going up against me, who knew the material with references, they had a lot less certainty and I had that superpower. And so to me, you're just, there are many different ways to give yourself these certainties and these superpowers in either little pockets or big pockets. And that's what I'm chasing. I'm not, I guess another, here's another way to present it. If you are a baseball team, let's say you're the Seattle Mariners. I don't know if a greater percentage of our listeners are from Seattle, but, or the state of Washington, if you're the Seattle Mariners right now, you're a pretty good baseball team. So the gain that you would get from adding a good player is very large because if we're a 90-win team, but adding a player takes us to a 93-win team, that has a massive impact on our chances of making the playoffs or doing well in the playoffs. If, on the other hand, you're the Detroit Tigers, where you're going to win 60 games this year, adding a player so that you might win 63 is useless, like utterly useless. It does nothing <laughs> to your competitive abilities. Similarly in quizzing, if you have a 5% chance to get every single question 
and you do some more studies so that you have a 8% chance of getting every single question, that could be completely useless study competitively. But if you did an amount of study that gave you a 90% chance of getting one of the 12 queries, and maybe even it caused your your chances of getting the rest of them to go to zero, I still think that's the way to go. That's how you can get certainty and score more over the long run. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree. Um, I mean, there's, there is not quite the same way to specialize in CBQZ versus A2, but there are opportunities. They're sort of philosophically orthogonal to question typing in the sense that we think about it in, in A2s, but they're, they're still there. One last comment I wanted to say, because I, I had been talking about like, say 50% synonymous versus 25% verbatim and saying, well, what are the, what are the score differences? Right. Um, and, and I want to get clear on that synonymous. Let's say you memorize 50% of the material synonymously versus another quizzer who memorizes 25% of the material verbatim. The synonymous quizzer point expectation wise should be six versus the verbatim is three. Again, with the caveats that I said before of all the, the assumptions that I'm making in the calculus, right? So that might think you might think, wow, that's kind of interesting. But then again, when you go from 25% to 36% verbatim, that's where verbatim basically crosses and surpasses synonymous. So anything in, in excess of 36% verbatim is worth more than 50% synonymous. So if you've got like, say 40 or 45% verbatim, it's much more valuable than 50% synonymous. Similarly, if you cascade upward to something fairly large, let's say you go 50% of the material verbatim, versus 75% of the material synonymously, that's a lot more of the material memorized synonymously than verbatim. That's a lot of, of, of additional verses. So the synonymous is ahead at that point, but not by a ton. It ends up being 13.5 uh, for synonymous uh, relative to 12 for, for verbatim, right? But here's where, you know, and this is Scott, something you said, and I just want to really highlight it. If you add references, the delta there explodes, right? So if you if you go 75% synonymous, 50% verbatim, no references, like I said, it's 13.5 to 12. If you go uh, to 75 and 50% with references, it's 20.25 to 15. So it's a it's a the delta there gets significantly bigger. Now you don't see that in every context, right? So if you go down to like say 50% synonymous, 40% verbatim uh, with references, they're actually fairly equivalent. So the difference between say verbatim at, and I guess it's really 39% equals 50% with reference versus 36% equals 50%. But as you get into the upper ranges of material coverage, that's where your reference knowledge really starts to make a huge difference in terms of just purely the calculatable score, all other things being equal, but all other things are not equal for exactly the reasons that Scott was talking about, because your confidence level, if you have 75% of the material or 50% of the material with reference, uh, your confidence level is tremendously higher than if you don't have those references there, because it's a, it's a, 
it's just a, a, a knife edge way to get into the material mentally uh, that just doesn't exist otherwise. There's something very important about that final bit because I remember memorizing a chapter with references. Let's say it's a 20 verse chapter. If I memorized eight of the verses with references, I feel almost 0% confident. But once I finish the final two verses and get to tw- like finish all of them, I feel 100% confident. Now, when I knew 18 of the 20, there is a way for me to optimally set my jumping speed on chapter verse references from that chapter that would still allow me to score a lot. But you sure don't feel that way when you're at 18 out of 20. Right. Absolutely true. Yeah, those last few percentage points of material memorization are just massive. They're incredibly massive. So I know full material sounds daunting, you know, when you're, especially when you're talking about a lot of material, but the more material you have, the more valuable it gets, right? And, and it becomes each additional verse is more valuable than the previous verses that you've memorized, not cumulatively. I'm saying on a, on a per verse basis, each additional verse is worth more than the preceding verses individually as you stack them up. And so, and that works all the way up until you get to full material. So uh, more is always better. And with, with reference is always better. All right. So let's jump into the next one. Uh, As we kind of talked about this a little bit already, uh, but I think it's a good thing to call out explicitly when you have the option memorize in sequence essentially look for runs of small verses versus picking out let's say individual verses that might be larger across a spectrum right so for example i'm, I'm going to give you a a really ridiculous example but let's say you have uh 10 verses in a in a in a, a, a range of material and verse five has 50 words and all the other verses have like four words, right? So in A2, you would memorize verse five, absolutely memorize verse five. You would memorize based on the, the number of words that exist and then work out from there. So if you're, if you're picking and choosing verses to memorize, you would pick verses that had more words in them, you know, um, and as, and if you wanted to go a little bit further down the rabbit trail in A2, you would pick out verses that had a lot of key material in them or were, you know, had lots of opportunity for logical, reasonable questions to be written off of them. Those would be the verses that you would prioritize in CBQZ. That's different uh, because verses are selected first, then uh, queries are created from those verses. Now, if a verse is too short to be able to, or for whatever other reason, it cannot uh, handle or cannot provide you a particular query type, a a base subtype, right? Then it's it's attempted and then it's moved on, but that's always part of the algorithm first, right? So in other words, if you're if you're looking at a particular verse in a chapter and the queer, the base subtype is a chapter query, the, the, the algorithm goes out and says, okay, I've picked a verse from this chapter. I'm going to try to create a valid chapter query from this verse. If none is there, then it moves on to another verse and tries a different verse at random. Right. But it always picks the verse first, which means all other things being equal, which of course it's not, but it tends toward this direction. 
it is better to have a chunk of verses together for the optimal of being able to mentally understand the verse within its context than it is to pick and choose individual verses and have gaps between them. Scott, what do you think? I, I think so. I'm trying to think through what you said about the algorithm for generating questions and why. It... Essentially, there's no advantage. So, so for example, if you've got a verse now in my example was, was a fairly egregious example, but let's say you've got a verse that has a way more words than some other verse in a two, there will be more questions written on that verse than other verses. And those questions, assuming all the same type, let's just say interrogatives, right? They all go into a pool, get randomized, and then you reach in and you pull out one of those questions. As a result, the verse with more words will be overrepresented in the pool uh, of, of things that you are pulling out, right? Uh, you'll get that verse more frequently. Now, granted, it won't be a ton more frequently. It'll be very slightly more frequently, but it'll be slightly more frequent. In CBQZ, that, that algorithm is, is inverted, right? The verse is selected first, then the query is extrapolated from the verse. And only if, it, if you fail at that, only if, if the, the algorithm fails at that, does it move on to some other verse. Therefore, there's no advantage to memorizing longer verses. And in fact, actually, there is a slight advantage to memorizing small verses. But a bigger thing that I didn't talk about uh, the last iteration is that in CBQZ, you have the quizzer selected subtype of add a verse. So as long as your verse, as long as the query that you've been given is from a verse that's not the last verse of a book, you can add a, a, a verse onto the end of it and essentially get 50% more of your base points. So if you're answering synonymously, you go from uh, two points to three. If you're answering verbatim, you go from four points to six points for your base. So being able to memorize verses in sequence opens up that ability. Whereas if you memorize verses non-sequentially, uh, which is to say like one verse, you skip a few verses and then another verse, you're leaving the add a verse bonus on the table. That all makes sense. So yeah, if you're memorizing less than all of all of the material, which is going to be most people, it does make sense to memorize in chunks and shorter verses. Yeah, probably equally optimal to target short verses as to avoid the longest verses. But the way see i mean right here points maximization if you can get a 50 percent bonus because you memorized a chunk in a short area on top of verbatim with a reference like that's the height of points maximization it would be throwing away so many points to get it correct synonymously and that's it right indeed indeed all right, another uh, sort of trick, or not trick, uh, something that I want to throw out there is review two and three word key phrases across included translations for a given meet. So this is difficult right now for IOC because we don't exactly know what translations are going to be in the mix. We know NIV will be included. And then we think maybe NASB, maybe BSB, we're, we're not really sure what the other ones are. But 
if there and and it's entirely possible that we have a situation where only an IV is at IOC. So who knows? But when you're preparing for a meet, once you know what the translations are, which can really only happen once the registration deadline has uh, concluded, then find, uh, pull up a list or, or create a list of two and three word uh, key phrases across the other translations and review it. This doesn't mean memorize it, uh, because ultimately you're going to be responding to every query from your the translation that you memorized, regardless of the translation that the query itself might be uh, uh, phrased in. But it's a good idea to review those two and three word uh, phrases across the translations, because it'll give you an advantage to going after uh, phrase and uh, chapter uh, queries. So this is... Am I correct in seeing that this is targeting things that you know you know, but making sure you recognize them regardless of the translation you hear? Right, exactly. Yeah, so like if you only memorize, let's say, chapter three, right, then you wouldn't necessarily review two and three word key phrases across the entire material for a meet uh, outside of the chapter that you memorized. But reviewing those things... Out, uh, outside of your translation, but within the context of the material that you memorized, uh, can be can give you an advantage when you're, uh, or at least bring you closer to parity uh, on uh, queries that are asked of you or or given that are from a translation that you didn't memorize. Makes sense, and I think that can be pretty clever, right? You're only trying to engage with the material in a different translation or in a translation that's not your core enough to recognize it and place it. Right, exactly. And you're you're ultimately going to be able to do that for the entire length of the query uh, in in most in in basically all contexts. I mean, it's very very rare. Uh, going, it's very rarely going to be a situation where if you get the full query text, you wouldn't be able to respond to it outside of your local translation, right? If you're hearing it from a, a, remote, a remote translation. But the problem is if you're competing against a team that that translation is their local translation, you need to be competitive with that team, right? Now, this is the query tra uh, translation source alternates query by query, right? So ultimately, you're not going to be at any sort of direct disadvantage to them if your uh, prep is the same. What I'm advocating here is that to be able to be increasingly competitive with the other team in their local translation is to make sure that you review a two and three word uh, key phrase list from those translations, from their translation. Another thing to do here and related, closely related to this, I would recommend listening to a chapter across all included translations for a meet. Um, this and and I mean you could also read uh, the other translations, but I think listening to somebody uh, say the material that you have memorized in your translation, listening to them recite it in another translation just gives you sort of that recognition capability where instead of having, I don't know, let's say four to six words needed before, and then maybe half a second before you're like, oh, I recognize this, you can in improve your recognition uh, recognition capabilities and, and increase your time and competitiveness on, say, phrase and query uh, uh, queries. 
uh, sorry, phrase this, and chapter queries. This is a tough one because any time spent with a different translation makes it harder for you to retain your uh, depth of mastery of your own. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's going to mess up your uh, synonymousness. Or sorry, not your synonymous. It will, in, in, it will push you away from verbatim back to synonymous. So you have to be, you have to be careful with this. And this ultimately leads into some very interesting team uh, study strategies as well. So if a quizzer is particularly good at listen, is particularly capable of listening to alternate translations and not having their verbatim uh, get mixed up that way, they may want to really go after that. Somebody else might say, well, if I have to choose, I'm going to choose one direction versus the other. And then another quizzer chooses the opposite direction to complement the, the first quizzer. Fascinating. Yeah. All right. So then the last thing here for individual prep is with open book prep. And these are just a, like sort of a long list of things to consider. I don't want to encourage people to necessarily spend a lot of time with open book book prep for the purpose of quizzing exclusively open book, because I want to encourage memorization. But, um, even for folks who memorize, going into a CBQZ meet, there's going to be some value to preparing for open book responses, even though your intent is to try to stay away from them uh, for points maximization. So in other words, um, you need to prepare some material to take with you <laughs> up on the stage. Now, that could literally just be take your study book up with you. Um, but you can go hog wild and do almost anything as long as it's not terribly unwieldy. Now, that's sort of the interesting thing. If you are going to 100% prepare for 100% open book coverage, you would have to bring up with you the Encyclopedia Britannica to, you know, you, you would have to take up volumes and volumes of folders up there uh, into the into the meet. And that's just not, it's not reasonable to be able to do that. So you have to decide when you're preparing your open book, you have to decide what you're going to specialize in, right? So there's there's some fairly easy stuff and then increasingly harder things. So pretty much off the bat, one of the, well, actually not one of the single most easiest thing to prepare for, for open book is quote queries, right? Uh, requires essentially zero prep. You just grab, you know, any Bible, your study booklet, whatever, zero prep, you go up there and off you go. So it's pretty, you can pretty aggressively attack uh, quote queries um, because you're essentially triggering based on the reference. And then you just look up the reference really quickly and off to the races you go. So pretty straightforward, doesn't require a lot of prep. It's really more getting really, really aggressive and very, very careful with your triggering so that you can win the trigger uh, and, and run away with it at that point. So this is a valuable strategy, even if you've got, let's say, I don't know, fit, let's say 50% of the material memorized, you still want to be prepared to go open book because ultimately what you can do here is, uh, on every quote query, you're going to be trying to be lightning fast on the reference, but ensuring that you get the reference because otherwise you're giving an easy query off to your other teams, right? Uh, your competitive teams. So you want to be very, very competitive on the trigger, get up there. And if you've got 
if if it's from a reference that you you have memorized, well, great. Then you could answer it synonymous or even go verbatim, depending on your confidence level. You can't include a reference, but you can go add a verse with a with a quote response and off to the races you go, um, and that can be worth a lot of points. But if you don't have that verse memorized, then at least you can pick up one point in that in that universe. And also you're denying that large amount of points to be uh, earned by some other team. So that's a particular strategy there. So I expect in advanced competitions, quote queries to just be lightning fast uh, and very precise uh, in terms of uh, triggers. Next step down here is uh, finishes. They're fairly easy to prep for, especially local uh, translations, right? You just take the first five words. Actually, you don't even have to take the first five word, words. Take all the material that you've got memorized and sort it by, or actually all the material within your within your open book and sort it alphabetically. And great, you, you now are ready to go after... Uh, finish uh, queries. That said, you do need to study where do the finish queries become key, and you need to be able to uh, you know look up things pretty quickly. Now, you don't have to be super aggressively quick here because 40 seconds is a long time, so don't feel like you have to rush to look it up. You do, you know, it's totally fine to spend five or ten seconds looking up or even more, looking up the the, the finish uh, uh, prompt and and then reading the version, you'll you'll be fine at that point. Um, but that's a fairly straightforward way to do it. Now, if you start to include other translations, your finish list can start to become unwieldy. But there may be ways that you can limit that down. Um, so I would expect quotes to be, you know, very 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 precisely jumped on uh, or, or not jumped uh, triggered based on syllable, not even syllables, based on very precise locations of the syllables read of the of the number. And then finishes are going to be syllable-based jumping, uh, syllable counted uh, for the most part, but it's going to depend on a lot of factors. So not quite as, as accurate, um, accurate's not the right word, not quite as rapid as uh, quote queries, but still a lot more rapid than phrase and chapters. Now, when we're talking about phrase and chapters, this is where deep paper prep could net some gains here, but you have to be very careful about how far down the rabbit hole you go here because it's only one point maximum per query that you can get on open book. And uh, if you call open book, that is. So you got to be careful there. And then the other thing you're doing is you're giving up your ceiling bonus. So if you answer open book, you are... Uh, giving up your ceiling. The ceiling right now is three points. Uh, that's a fairly non-trivial number of points. We may even increase that ceiling bonus even more, possibly. I think three is pretty high, but we'll kind of we'll kind of have to see how things go there. But if you go open book even once, you're leaving that bonus on the table, and so that could be a strategic mistake but I'm not smart enough to forecast that yet. All right, so that's a lot of information. Uh, Scott, what are your thoughts? I think it sounds overwhelming, and I think a good principle is whatever you do, it should be, optimal is not the right word, it should be a, an intentional good decision, but that doesn't mean that you have to do every potential good decision. 
Oh yeah, it just means absolutely. that whatever you choose to do should consider a few factors. And we've probably mentioned 50 factors, but it could be that you only need to consider two to make a good decision for whatever it is you want to study. Absolutely. And I would go so far as to say you, well, I wouldn't say can't, but I would say it would, it's, it is almost certainly an extremely bad idea to optimize for everything. Like you'll, you will just be overwhelmed. There's just way too much to, to deal with. Uh, and I, I would strongly recommend people not go that direction. So I would start by, obviously you can't win a quiz without memorizing. So memorize on mass, get as many verses down as you can with reference, try to aim for verbatim. But the biggest thing is get the references down, uh, sorry, get the, the content down with references. And then once you surpass, mm, I don't know, probably 50% material coverage, then that's where you start to add things like reviewing two and three word key phrases, uh, starting to get deeper into op open book prep, that kind of thing. Um, I guess, I mean, now granted, if you're going to go after quotes, uh, for open book prep, then you don't have to do any open book prep and then finishes are fairly easy to do some pretty quick prep there. But when you're going further down the rabbit hole, I wouldn't recommend choosing which path you take until you're generally close to 50% or above 50%. Because I just don't, I don't think the rewards are all that strong uh, until you get to that point. Yep. I got nothing else to add. All right. So let's talk about teams. Uh, so we talked a little bit about this before, but just a couple of points real quick here on team prep. So dividing a material across a team is potentially useful. Uh, you, you know, depending upon how folks are going, uh, you know, it, it increases the probability of a team trigger. Uh, and then of course, then you can potentially not have to worry about if you're jumping on recognition and let's say I know chapter one and Scott knows chapter two. Well, if there's a query from chapter one or chapter two, naturally, if we're jumping off of recognition, then we'll probably follow on each other and get follow-up bonuses as well as our, you know, sec, uh, second quizzer bonus and so forth. So how best to divide up a material if you know that your team is not going to be 100% coverage? Well, how would you divide it up? I think it's probably best to divide by chapter, but next best is to divide by section. And the reason being is if you divide up by chapter and then separate from that dividing up by section, there is an increased probability that I can get... Um, uh, adverse bonuses. And that's a fairly significant amount of, um, points that, that I can get by being able to, to add a verse. So I would chunk by chapter and try to get hundred percent on that chapter so that you can be confident to be able to add a verse there. The other thing is diversity of translations on a single team could be slightly beneficial at upper levels of competition, right? So at, you know, sub-district or district level competition, probably not a big deal until you get, you know, the top set of teams uh, as you're heading in toward final. But at something like an IOC meet, having a diversity of translations on a single team could give you a very small advantage in certain contexts. So exactly what that is, I have no idea. The math just 
hurts my brain, but it may be something to consider if you are in the process of forming an IOC team is to uh, consider, well, is there an advantage to us having a diversity of translations as well as diversity of depth for the material? Yeah, there are almost endless optimizations that you could do at the highest levels. Right. All right. So then let's talk about stuff to do while you're actually quizzing. And really during the quiz itself, there's best practices. Some of these are best practices from A2 and that just apply equally to CPQZ. And then there's other stuff that is uh, CPQZ specific. So uh, the first set of things, stuff that really, it's just stuff that you've heard of before, uh, but select your trigger speed based on strategic calculation that you do before the quiz meet and stick to it. Don't get goaded into voiding your strategy. Remain disciplined. Uh, you're competing. One way to think about this is you're competing against the best version of yourself, not necessarily the other team. Scott, what do you think about this one? So hmm, there's really three variables here. One is how quickly everybody else triggers. Well, there's really only two factors. Well, three. How quickly everyone else triggers. If you trigger faster, would you get it right? Uh, maybe so. Maybe only two. Okay, I'm articulating this terribly. Let me let me back up. Basically, if everyone else is jumping at a pace where if you beat them, you would get everything wrong, then nothing else really matters. <laughs> and so, but if if you hmm, if jumping at a pace, you would get a certain number of points, and if other people will jump faster and get less points, you don't want to play that game. I think. It's hard because I'm still rooted in age two where I, I was very well aware based off of the year what speed would result in an unsustainable amount of scoring, right? Mm -hmm. Like I knew in a gospel year if my opponents jumped at one and a half syllables on interrogatives, over the long run they would air out and not really score many points. And so I didn't care if they if they triggered quicker. I, I mean, I, it, it is all about you as long as your prep is beyond some threshold. But if your prep is below some threshold, then it has nothing to do with you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so well, it's, you have to know, you have to be well, you have to know what that threshold is. And then you also have to assess what the other teams are doing. You have to do both all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So potentially very complex. I feel like I'm I'm saying it poorly. Like, so, I mean, I guess here's a good way to sum it up. For, I think it was Hebrews year, we said two syllables and a mouth shape is our target trigger speed on interrogative questions. If somebody else beats it, we are happy to let them take their chances at that speed. Because based on looking at thousands of potential questions, I saw the expected accuracy rate if you are jumping faster than two syllables in a mouth shape to be um, a really poor accuracy rate. But I also found that the accuracy rate at two and a half full syllables to be so good that I figured our chances of winning many jumps at that speed to be kind of, un I was unsure that we would win enough jumps to score anything. And so it was in that sweet spot that we targeted and that was all we were concerned about. 
was can we hit that exact target? But that was only a useful strategy if my research was right. If my research was wrong, then everything else is null and void. And so that's really where it starts is examining the material and the potential questions you might get. And you don't have to, you don't have to have any certainty over, let's say you write a thousand questions. There might be 12, you know, differences between what are actually asked and the ones that you wrote, but you have to write something that's representative enough of the type of things that would be asked. And then you can see how much material do I need for a computer to get it right. And then you change it because humans won't be able, even if you know the full material, you won't get a hundred percent of stuff right um, that you hear. You do the calculations and you, and you can figure out what speed could I, would I want to jump at if I did know the full material really well. And then once you know that, if anyone else jumps faster, you know it's a dumb thing for them to do. Because even if they know the whole material really well, they're going to score less points than you. But you have to know that spot. And that's, that, that's the biggest key is you have to figure out that spot. And the dynamics of the competition affected a lot because at internationals, there would be quizzes against teams that knew the material poorly and they would jump too fast for what they knew. And we had to be okay letting them air a bunch, even though it didn't change our chances of winning the quiz, but it affected how many points we could score. At internationals, that was okay, because if you win a quiz, you get 10 points, and that's enough for you, you know, like, the teams that made top nine averaged fewer than 10 points. So winning a quiz and getting only 10 was totally fine. At the district level, you know, you probably needed to average 14 to 16 to make top nine in PNW. And so if you ran into a team that jumped really imprudently, it could ruin, it could ruin your entire meet. And so you do also have to be aware of those sorts of dynamics. If, if a meet is very competitive, then letting, and if the scoring is set up well, and I think it is in CBQC, then letting other participants do dumb things is okay. But there could be a competitive structure where um, you might need to play the dumb game in the very short term to, I don't know if stay alive is the right term, but basically if you need if you need a minimum level of points in a given quiz to, say, make a bracket, or then these optimal strategies kind of go out the window because your goal is not maximizing point scoring over the long run, and the long run meaning like five quizzes, 10 quizzes, 20 quizzes. You need to maximize it in these 12 queries and that may require a different strategy. Yeah. All right. Well, a couple other things that are very similar in A2 uh, to CPQZ. So number one, don't foul. Uh, remain disciplined. Pay attention. Fouls in CPQZ are entirely going to be based on loss of, of discipline, loss of paying attention, right? So, you know, are you going to be penalized in terms of like, you know, do you get points removed? No, uh, you just have to sit out a question, but, or sorry, a query, but in CPQZ sitting out a query is a big deal. Um, so, I mean, granted it's one quizzer on one team, the rest of your team is still eligible, but try to avoid fouling, right? Just pay attention to what's going on and you'll be fine. Uh, but then the, the other one is manage your energy levels. And these two things relate to each other, right? Because you're able to pay attention and stay uh, disciplined more when you have <clears throat> higher than zero amounts of energy, right? So take your shorter timeouts, uh, your shorter timeout, because it's singular, each team only has a single timeout. Take, take those 
uh, tactically as valuable time for energy management, not necessarily for strategic decision making. I mean, there may be a time where in CBQZ where, uh, you know, on query nine or 10 or something like that, um, a coach may want to call a timeout and say, okay, remember, do this on this query or remind quizzers of a strategy that they put together prior to the quiz. But you don't necessarily want to be changing your strategy in that moment, right? Because it still, it would have always been the strategy. So the idea of going in and saying, well, we can only win if you go verbatim with reference on the next two queries and like, okay, well, fine. That still should have been your strategy, regardless of what anybody else was doing. Right. You, so absolutely still go for it, you know, kind of stuff. Um, there is, there is no, point reduction to erring, the idea is you just want to maximize your points. So strategy discussions are less valuable in CPQZ, but managing your energy levels are, are at, at least as important in CPQZ as A2 and possibly more important. So use your, your timeout as a way for your quizzers to, if I'm talking to coaches here, use your timeout or captains, use your timeout as a, um, uh, an opportunity to mental reset, uh, the team, right. Um, arrive to your quiz room early, observe the previous quiz, try to get acclimated to the quizzes, uh, the QM's pacing, all of this is, you know, exactly the same when you're studying material or, or you're at a quiz, you're, you're uh, sorry, at a quiz meet, not at a quiz itself, mentally relax. Don't cram, you know, it's, it's okay to review, but don't cram hard, uh, at the meet itself, or even on the drive to the meet review in a relaxed way, maintain your energy levels. All of that stuff is, uh, you know, important. Get to your chairs in a timely fashion, be ready as early as possible. Take time to breathe, uh, reduce your stress level as much as you can. So you can maximize your energy level, especially as you're heading towards, uh, finals. Um, don't use a pre-quiz prayer as the moment to get focused, be able to get snap focused when you're necessary, when it's necessary to do so. Um, and then the other, the last thing, again, all related here, consider not necessarily going full power in score some brackets, right? This is, um, I almost hesitate mentioning this as a strategy. It's, it's risky because another team could surpass you without your knowing it in another uh, quiz in terms of total points. Um, but it is potentially good from an energy management uh, point of view. And all of these things sort of just relate to managing your energy. So Scott, what do you, what do you think about all these things? So the conversation around energy management for me is very similar to the conversation about breadth versus depth and how it's so valuable to gain certainty and gain mastery. If so in, in age two thinking about internationals, getting a single question correct was a huge feat of lots of study and preparation, sound strategy, execution of a jump speed, and then execution of getting it correct. That required so much and you needed to be mentally clear and have energy. And so energy preservation was a big deal. And as a result, kind of both because the prep required to quiz at that level was, I didn't, it wasn't possible for me to do that on multiple question types. So I knew only a few question types at the level that I could get them right at internationals. And so 
if a question wasn't that type, I didn't jump on it and I didn't really concentrate on it. And it was a mental break for me. And that was absolutely required to keep myself fresh so that I could summon the focus required on the types that I did know. And I think that's similar here in CBQZ, just a little differently. The name of the game is not getting one right. It's getting it right and all of the potential aspects of it to maximize points. So because of that, preserve your energy in the ways that Griffin said. And it could be that within a given 12 query quiz, either you're not prepared to jump on all types or you just don't want to. And you find that jumping on a few of them with that ultimate focus and energy is the best way for you to score. All right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, A3 specific stuff to do while you're actually quizzing. So number one, and this, I guess this kind of actually relates to A2 as well, just in a, with a different number, take your time thinking about your response before you begin speaking, right? You have 40 seconds. 40 seconds is a long time. So consider how to maximize your score prior to speaking. Now, it's totally completely fine if you get excited, you you trigger, you get called on, and you just start reciting the verse, right? But be careful about that because if you get excited and you start reciting the verse, maybe you're reciting the verse verbatim. And if you don't call verbatim, you're going to be ruled uh, synonymous, even if you were verbatim. So you're going to get two points instead of four. So Take a couple of seconds, maybe even more than a couple of seconds, and consider how to maximize your score. What's my risk profile going to be here? Where, where, where am I in the quiz? What do I need to do? How do I, you know, how comfortable am I uh, claiming verbatim? Do I want to claim reference? Do I want to claim uh, add a verse? And remember, any time that you set a quizzer selected subtype, anything that you've said prior erases, assuming that you're you're not incorrect, right? Um, so still pending a ruling, and actually it's not pending a ruling, pending you saying something to make you incorrect, assuming you still have time, anytime that you set a subtype, your answer resets and you're only uh, judged on what you say after selecting the subtype. Therefore, you don't want to spend, you know, 20 seconds or more reciting something and then say, oh, wait, I want to go verbatim because then you have to start over and you've just lost those 20 seconds, right? So take your time, consider your, your strategy, consider your, your risk profile, call the subtypes that you want, and then recite your answer. You don't need 30 seconds or 20 seconds to, well... It, it does not it does not take 20 or 30 seconds to quote a verse right you can I've 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 heard quizzers and, and frequently quizzers do this they will quote a verse in five seconds or four seconds you don't have to go that fast slow down to you know 10 15 even 20 seconds to quote a verse word perfect is completely reasonable and fine uh, take those five or ten seconds when you're when you're starting uh, to think through. Now, 10 seconds, I, I say 10 seconds, and I know nobody's ever going to take that long because 10 seconds thinking without saying is, it feels like an eternity, right? I'm just saying, don't rush it. Give yourself the time to think about your strategy before you uh, begin answering. I got nothing else to add. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, so if you aren't sure, think a little bit first, but consider don't claim quiz or selected subtypes at first. Um, the risk here with this strategy, which is of course, again, this strategy is almost exactly the opposite of what, what I just said, right? It's risky to start answering because if you switch to open book or if you switch to verbatim, you've used up time, you'll have to start over. If you add a reference, you have to start over too. But maybe it's a way to begin responding synonymously and then as you get a couple of words in, maybe you get clarity over a risk profile uh, and then maybe you want to change your risk profile. I don't feel like this should be a I don't know that this is a winning strategy. I think you need enough material mastery to be able to know how you're going to answer each query when it happens. But if you're not sure, then I think maybe pause a couple seconds, then start on a synonymous response but then be willing to start over if you need to. However, you need to be cognizant of your time because if you're 30 seconds in and you're answering synonymously, don't switch to verbatim, probably, because you almost certainly won't get it correct at that point, right? So just take all of that into consideration. The other thing that you need to do is work with your team to squeeze out scoring maximum opportunities, like again, slowing down slightly on a query, following when you were counted correct to, I call this yielding, where you are, you are yielding your maximum speed so that say a following quizzer on your team might be able to uh, jump in or not jump in, trigger in before you. Uh, but again, you have to be very careful about that. All these speed changes need to be worked out in practice long ahead of time. And, are, and you know, you, you have to be cognizant about what's the speed of the quiz, what are the speeds of the other teams, and um, is my yielding for a follow quizzer bonus worth the risk of another team picking up the next query. So you got to be thinking about that. And then related to query timing, remember something I said before, uh, quote queries are, are all about trigger timing. Finishes are all about syllable count triggering. And then phrase and chapter queries are probably going to be more about recognition, especially when you're talking about uh, cross translation, but even singular translation, it's probably going to be more about recognition rather than syllable counting based on how um, phrases and, and chapter queries are, are rendered. Yeah, I think it's interesting trying to figure out ways to maximize team score thinking beyond the individual. And I think that's something that the coach can help with a lot, right? If there are areas, like if one quizzer is 100% prepared on chapter one and another quizzer is 90% prepared on chapter one, but that first quizzer is also 100% prepared on the rest of the material and that second quizzer is 0% prepared on the rest of the material, you want to try to funnel those chapter one queries to that second quizzer if possible, right? Harder to do in practice, but on paper, that's you're trying to maximize total score and holding back that one quizzer from getting chapter one queries, it's not really hurting them when the whole quiz is... Uh, thought about, but it's really the only chance for that other quizzer to get stuff. Right. Indeed. All right. So last comment uh, for all of this stuff is I, I want to warn A2s. Now, granted, you know, what's our audience right now? Um, our audience is probably 99% A2s, right? right? Um, I think actually we do have uh, some folks who are listening 
in the last few weeks who are A3 only or CBQZ only who are basically starting up quizzing right now and are working their way towards IOC as their first meet. Um, so with the assumption that well over 90% of our listeners are embedded right now in A2, I want to throw out this warning or not warning, caution, I don't know, caveat. Don't think of A3 as A2, but different because of, you know, X, Y, and Z rules or whatever, right? You got to think of A3 as a new sport. Now, granted, it's quizzing. I think it maintains the essential essence of quizzing, but don't evaluate your strategies in the context of what you're used to in A2. A3 really is dramatically different in terms of strategy. Uh, and I, I, you know, I think Scott said it very well a couple of episodes ago about the difference between points maximization versus uh, error avoidance. The, the other thing to consider is the depth of strategies available to exercise in A3 is at least 10 times as large as what's available in A2. So in other words, strategy in A3 is much more valuable as a potential a, a source of in time investment than it would be in A2, right? However, there are certain things that are going to be very similar in A3, if not exactly similar in A3 to A3, uh, in A2. In other words, if you, you, you really do have to memorize, there is no substitute for memorizing in A3 versus a2 there is open book absolutely and you can put points on the board with open book in a3 absolutely uh and that's a good thing but you will not be able to be competitive at even mid-level quizzing if you don't have a substantial amount of material memorized in a3 so start not with necessarily your depth of strategies but start with getting material memorized with references. And then from there, once you have a good chunk of material, and I would say, a, you know, at least 50% material coverage, then at that point, yeah, then start thinking about strategies that are, uh, you know, more down the rabbit hole uh, in terms of uh, all this um, CBQZ stuff. In that way, it's kind of similar to age two, where you don't have to worry about a finish the verse list or inflection on a reference if you don't have very much material memorized. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. Um, and there's a, I think the Delta sort of the, the siren song of a three is because of the way the rules are written. There's, there's these layers and layers of strategy that, it, that can exist that don't exist in a two. And so the siren song of A3 is focus your energy on strategy, not on memorization. But I think that's a fool's errand. I think uh, e there's there's tremendous draw to the strategy, but you want to focus on that after you've got at least a base level of material mastery. Agreed. All right. Well, and on that bombshell, we will close out the uh, episode. I want to remind everybody that, of course, we would love to hear feedback from you, especially constructive criticism. Uh, we'd love to hear from our listeners. So please email us at iq at cbqz.org. You can follow us on Twitter. Our account there is at Inside Quizzing, and you can chat with us in kind of almost near real time on the Slack forum Inside Quizzing. And with that, I will say thank you all for listening. And thank you, Scott. Thanks, Griffin. And thank you to all of our listeners. <laughs>